welcome to today's podcast. Today I have, <laughs> you know what? I need so much more coffee. <laughs> I'm just cleaning my throat as well now. <clears throat> okay, let's do this again. <laughs> Hello, everyone. To welcome to today's podcast. <clears throat> my voice is going now. Uh, I have Scott Rumsey with me, who is our good practice advisor here at the University of Glasgow. And I let Scott introduce himself um, for a little Hi. bit. <laughs> Thanks very much. So yeah, I'm Dr. Scott Ramsey. I'm uh, the person at the University of Glasgow charged with finding examples of good practice in teaching and all the, the other things that go with teaching, like assessment and so on, um, and taking those examples and packaging them up so that they can be shared with other people. So um, uh, there are staff like Natalie here who, who run the courses, like our postgraduate certificate in academic practice, which staff come onto. And my job is kind of the mirror of that, where I find things and foist them on staff. <laughs> <laughs> and you do actually much more than just that, but in a nutshell, that is your core, <clears throat> your core course. But yeah. one of the reasons why Scott is here today, because I thought um, he ran a couple of dissemination fairs and I thought that might be something interesting for the community to hear how that went, how he organized it, what the different topics were and the feedback on them. And so Scott, can you maybe give us a little bit of background, like what, what is a dissemination fair and what is it for? Sure. Well, it was an excuse to get a lot of staff together into one room from across all of our different subject areas and mm -hmm. get a conversation going between them and some knowledgeable experts in the field about how to publish scholarship of their teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. And Glasgow is a research intensive, research intensive institution. So we've got people who are uh, lecturers with different emphases on their contract. So some of them are primarily here to do research, some of them are primarily here to do teaching and only teaching, and there are some who have both. So it's quite clear to a lot of people, I think, how they do scholarship, um, although it's probably just would just be called research in their discipline. But then when it comes to uh, publishing on their teaching methods, you know, that's not the thing that they were, that's not the thing they did their PhD in, and it's not the thing that they live in the world of. And so to become promoted in those in those types of contracts, output and impact is measured by, as you will well know, Natalie, publications yeah. of uh, scholarship around the teaching and learning side rather than the subject. Mm -hmm. And this, this actually um, links to a conversation I had with Michael earlier on as well that can be really challenging for people who are from non-cognitive disciplines to suddenly start writing and publishing in education about education. And it comes with a whole set of, of quite significant challenges sometimes. And so, yeah, this is where all these different support mechanisms are in place to help people to get, yeah, to, to gain an understanding there. Yeah. So, so yeah, so was there anything so, else you wanted to add? Sorry. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it does two things. It, it satisfies the staff who want this information but it also satisfies the university because internally if we're saying that the, the promotion criteria to be promoted on one of these more teaching focused contracts is to do this um, if we say we're not going to support any of the staff in doing that if we're not going to give them a framework then we're kind of leaving them high and dry i mean sure these are intelligent people they've got phds um, for the most part but uh it, it ticks an institutional box and it also ticks a, a box for the attendees who come along. 
And this is why we have all these me support mechanisms in place at the institution to support our colleagues with, with mm -hmm. participating in, in scholarship and learning and teaching. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> tell us a little bit more about the, dis the dissemination fair. So where did you get the idea from and what, what does it look like? You know, how, how, <laughs> how can someone imagine to go to a dissemination fair? So what, what would they expect? It's one of those projects where I'm not sure what the original seed was. I think it naturally <laughs> spun out of a discussion between several people, so I won't take sole credit for it. But it was the idea of seeing um, the people who run the journals mm -hmm. can, they, they have a lot of information about what it takes to publish in their journal. Mm -hmm. And yes, this information is out there on the website, but unless you know which websites to go to, or unless you know that that information exists in the first place, it's, you know, it's like, it's an unknown unknown yeah. at that stage. So let's just or put people know, in a room. Yeah, or even knowing that that journal exists or such journals. <laughs> indeed, uh -huh. indeed. So I did some preliminary, pre preliminary research on the most common subject non-specific uh, journals that someone might be interested in publishing in, cut it down to a, a reasonable number. So I think we had about 15 for which I was able to find information on the premise of the journal, mm -hmm. the ethos of what they wanted to publish, along with some guides on how many times a year they published and what the criteria for acceptance were. Right, so this is like stage one and that information became essentially a display on a wall so mm -hmm. staff could wander through and everything was scaled uh, so that at one end of the, the the display for lack of a better word you had the journals that were very very practice focused and at the other end of the, the, the spectrum you had those that were very uh, high theory focused yeah. and so for a lot of people who are coming in for the first time they're probably going to be at the, the former of those two and would be maybe people who are employed in the School of Education, which is one of our, our departments here who might focus on the, the, the theory one. Mm -hmm. So I think that helped people navigate the landscape, which is something that, again, if you don't have a guide to explain to you, is one of those things that's, that's a bit impenetrable about it. So that was part one of it. And part two was that we invited uh, an editor from one of five different journals mm -hmm. to actually come to the university, sit at um, large desks and we had essentially a speed networking session where our attendees, uh, we had 60 staff for our first one two years ago, uh, could spend 10 minutes with that with that editor and they could say this is what we do, these are the mistakes that our submitting authors commonly make and these are the reasons why the ones that get published get published. Yeah. So if you're going to submit with us, bear that in mind. Yeah, and I've, I actually participated in that one and I and what I thought was really, really useful was actually when you speak to the editor you get a really different uh Im Im is it like an impression or experience of that journal and so some of the editors were very very clear of our journal is to support people who have never published in that field and to be really hands-on while others were as you said you know they were very theoretical or we want to you know know about educational theory and we want to mm -hmm. really have these high level discussions Mm -hmm. And that was something I think you don't really get if you just read the abstract of a journal. I think the conversations with the editors really gave you the feeling of for that particular journal. I thought that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, what else was happening? Because there were two different types of dissemination fairs. So was there something else in that one? I forgot about it. Indeed, uh, mm -hmm. there were two different types. Um, that was the main meet of the first one and then in year two because 
you know, there's only so much of that that you can take before you're already at saturation point. You get the idea yeah. that there's a spectrum of types of journals. Mm -hmm. They all start to say the same things eventually. And so in year two, we flipped it to a more internal look. So it was a speed networking session at its core again, but it was with people who were from the University of Glasgow who had already been through the process. So subject experts who now had to venture out into educational publications. Mm -hmm. And we had people from across a different from across a spectrum of different types. So we had people who had published articles in journals, as we've just been talking about. We had someone who had published an academic textbook, because again, thinking back to what I said at the start about the reasons for all of this, the promotion criteria here at Glasgow at least talk about impact and dissemination in a fairly broad sense. Yeah. So we're not just talking about journal articles, we're talking about high impact uh, conference presentations would probably count too, um, things that impact outside necessarily outside of maybe just the sphere of academia that we're all comfortable <laughs> yeah. with but you know some kind of public impact might be important too and textbooks um, are, are another component of that and and yeah so we had 10 minutes at a table with each of these people um, interspersed with some presentations on some institutional policy so we have for example a learning analytics policy here at Glasgow which talks mm -hmm. about what we can do in terms of collecting data on our students and their performance so we can chart what has an impact and what doesn't in our teaching and uh, that was being created and sort of in its final draft stages at that point so it was actually really useful for one of our deans of learning and teaching to be able to put out the the here's an almost finished version to mm -hmm. these people for some feedback and those are the most interested people at the university because they, yeah. they left their desks and came to this <laughs> this event all about this. So it was useful for that too. And we also had uh, Dr. Natalie Sheridan. <laughs> who <Yeah>. gave, <laughs> oh yes, who gave I forgot a, about it. You <laughs> gave a, a checklist to sort of sum up the most important things to think about when you're planning your scholarship. Yes. Oh yes, that was uh, the process, you know, how to, how to do the subtle project. Yes, I'll be sharing that process with you as well. <clears throat> now that Scott mentioned it and I completely forgot about it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, actually, while we are mentioning things, Scott might actually be a really interesting person to hook up if you want to talk about how to publish a book or a textbook because he has <laughs> co-authored two, two of them now, haven't you? Um, yeah, so too. if you want to hear about it, comment on the podcast and I'll see if I can wrestle his arms and our colleague Jennifer Boyle's arms if they talk, if they talk about it. See, sure. see how I did that. I just committed you to another one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So fabulous. So can you tell us a little bit what, what did people get out of those dissemination fairs? So you, did you do a little evaluation? So what, what, I did. What, so what were the key things you, you found? I think the, the, the first one where we mm -hmm. had the journal editors, mm -hmm. um, people find it really useful to see about the different types and the different focuses of journals. Mm -hmm. So that, that type of spectrum that I was talking mm -hmm. about where you've got practice focused versus theory focused. I don't think that I was about to say, I don't think that penny had dropped with a lot of people. That makes it sound like it's something that, of course, they should have grasped, but it's, it's not, it's not no. anyone's fault. It's just that no one had mm -hmm. explained that yet. Mm -hmm. So I think seeing that um, was most useful. And then with the second one, it was less about hearing from the people at the tables who were the hosts mm -hmm. who said, so I published about this and this is what I wished. You know, we, we badged the session as 
with a subtitle of things I wish I'd known before I started. Mm -hmm. So yes, that was useful because we asked them to emphasize the things that they would have read, would have designed differently. But yeah. actually it was the conversations that happened between people at the tables afterwards that people enjoyed most it's a bit like going to any conference i guess everybody says yeah. that the chance to see old friends and talk about <laughs> what you're doing is the yeah. the most engaging part uh -huh. and uh the one, one thing i didn't mention was that before everyone was sat at their tables in that mm -hmm. second version yeah everyone who was going to host the table gave a very short lightning talk style pitch mm -hmm. um and they said this this was my project this is how i designed it uh -huh. and this was the type of data that i collected yeah. and i think that was you know as a as a bit of practical advice for anyone who's thinking of running something like this i think that was really helpful because we didn't have enough time in the day these were half half day events they started about 10 o'clock yeah. had a bit of an opening speech and finished mm -hmm. about 12 half 12 so that people could have time for lunch and chat at that point um there wasn't enough time deliberately <laughs> allotted <laughs> to visit every single table yeah. um, because we thought maybe people would get bored if they're forced to spend time at things that they don't want mm -hmm. to hear about so having those pitches saying here's yeah. what i can tell you about come see me if you want was mm -hmm. was good yeah that's that's really interesting and um do you know have you um considering how things are going at the moment have you thought about maybe planning a digital version of that? You knew that question was coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, Natalie said at the start that one of or you, you said at the start that one of the things that I, um, that there are other things that I do. One of the things I do is coordinate a lot of the work that goes into making our annual learning and teaching conference happen. So right now I'm in the process of scanning different platforms that are out there mm -hmm. so that it's not just a series of Zooms posted on a web page. Yeah. There's something a bit more integrative about it and people can browse a menu and you know mm -hmm. read abstracts without me having to build a web page for every single presentation that's happening. So I think something like that would be useful mm -hmm. and uh, it could be used for an event like this as well you can drop in on people after having browsed what they're going to talk about yeah. um i mean ultimately fundamentally mm -hmm. it is just a bunch of zooms in the background <laughs> that, that happen yeah. and i think if i was going to do the, the speed networking thing it would fundamentally be that unless another platform for actually hosting the mm -hmm. the, the video conferencing part yeah. itself comes along um there are some really interesting ones that let you mm -hmm. have avatars out there and you can see yourself moving uh -huh. around in the room and when you get close enough to someone else's avatar you can hear their audio like you would as uh -huh. you walked up to someone in a big room yeah, um, yeah i've heard so. about them um we've been actually thinking for the sort network um to come up with something like uh, flipgrid presentations you know how you said that these really short pitches people found mm. them really quite interesting and we were thinking about maybe using flipgrid for these short pitches so people could uh, introduce what kind of subtle projects they're doing and find someone else who might be interested in collaborating with them so mm. um yeah so there are some some things about it what i also wanted to mention is um there is going to be a subtle website at the institution going live and part of that is sharing um sharing these kind of journal articles people can publish their subtle in, which are informed by some of the journals uh, Scott has kindly shared with me, but there are also journals that were shared throughout our network. And I started putting them on a on a website, kind of kind of mirroring a little bit uh, Scott's poster structure of, you know, the journal title, what is it about, and the link to the journal. So please feel free to to have a 
have a look at it. I'll post the links as well. So Scott, what would be your biggest takeaway from, from having run these, these kind of dissemination fairs? What do you think was a, you know, one of the key things or your biggest takeaway from them? It was that a lot of staff are very, very close to actually knowing everything that they need to know to be able mm -hmm. to go off and do it. Mm -hmm. And it's just telling them, actually, you know what, this is remarkably similar to the type of publication mm -hmm. process that you're probably used to. These are the things, and this is maybe the, the, the insight part, these are the things that make a successful journal submission mm -hmm. for this journal type. Mm -hmm. And as long as you do that, then everything else can probably happen the same. And also, uh, a second big lesson I think a lot of our attendees took away from it was to think about the types of data that we're going to get and yeah. designing the the experiment for to use a, one word that actually wouldn't be such appropriate in all cases. But you know, design the. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a scientist originally. <laughs> I'm going to use the word experiment. <laughs> that gives you a little design... bit of an idea of the debates we sometimes have. <laughs> <laughs> multidisciplinary department um design yes. it design properly at the start so that you get something useful at the end otherwise the journal editor will turn around and go do this again next year <laughs> <laughs> exactly which is a really nice segue again to to the conversation i had with michael in another podcast i'll link to it as well where we are talking about the software process and the designs and sometimes the 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 problem and not problems, but the struggles sometimes people have coming from non-cognitive disciplines. And you know how um, Scott and I sometimes have these had these debates about you know scientific approaches versus the more social sciences approaches to mm -hmm. two things. And um, yeah, but I think these debates are actually really valuable and can be fun as well. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So thank you very much, Scott, for for uh, sharing your time. And committing no to another podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anytime, anytime. And, uh, and yeah. I've, I've also got uh, some short video clips from the yeah. editors who visited us to yeah. sort of sum up in two minutes or less mm -hmm. what their advice would be. So mm -hmm. we can also put that, I guess, in the show notes if people yes. want to see. I can put this all in as a descriptor underneath the, the post, then you can see all the links and everything that's related to it. Fabulous. Cool. cool. Thank you very much. Bye. No Thanks. Bye.